When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On paper, you'd think this was going to be one hell of a train wreck. But then you listen, and you realize common sense doesn't have a party, an ideology, a stereotype, or a color. Can we be united again? Stick around, and we'll prove it. This is Doc in the Block. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Doc in the Block podcast. I'm sitting here with the world's greatest music producer, Big Block Spencer, and... NFL superstar, yeah, superstar, world champion, Super Bowl champ, Veron Haynes. Brother. How you guys doing today? I'm fine, man. This is your Big Block, Block Entertainment, and I'm Ryan Sideways, my brother, the number one orthopedic surgeon in the world. Doc, what's up, Doc? How you been? I've been good, man. I haven't seen you in a while. We were, yeah. uh, I was on vacation. I was yeah. traveling all over Europe, and you've been in L.A. What's yeah. going on? Hey, man, just, just making another wars. I got proclam- uh, proclamated. You know what I'm saying? The city of Atlanta gave me a block day, June 15th. I saw that. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Congrats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big congrats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, brother. Well deserved. Thank you. Yeah, man. I've just been working, man. Just trying to, you know what I'm saying? Just trying to be an example. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Trying yeah. to be an example for the kids that we're working on. You know what I'm saying? At the, you know, at the, at the, um, the studio, uh, the big timers, you know, here. Yep. You know, just working. And Ron, how you doing, buddy? Man, I'm blessed, Drew. Man, I'm glad to see you, man. Bless. I'm glad to see you, yeah, man. man. Hey, look how good he looks. He's been in the gym, too. He forgot to mention that. He forgot to mention that. He's been putting in some work in the yeah, gym, man. too. Both of you guys. Hey, man. Both of you guys, man. I'm, got, I'm happy man? to be in the presence of greatness. Uh, we have another that. legend right legend. here with us. We got uh, today our guest is world-class PGA superstar, wow. Stuart Sink. Stuart, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. Looking forward to hanging with y'all a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, Stuart, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we started this show is, uh, you know, these guys just we came across each other uh, taking care of them. They both had uh, injuries. We got to know each other. And Mm -hmm. one of the things we really noticed is that as different as we are, we're the same in a lot of ways. You know, Um, we're all successful in different areas of life and we've all had struggles. And it really got us thinking that, uh, you know, we're really more the same than we're different. And I, when, when Block talks to me about, you know, what got him on the straight and narrow, he, he would say, I didn't want my kids to have to go through what I went through. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, I was some, I was somebody who was, was very average in everything I did in school and sports and things like that. But my father, I had a father to tell me, you can do better. You know, you can work hard. You can always hustle, you know, control the things that you control, and things will work out. And that's what we've kind of seen with all the guests that we've had. We have all kinds of uh, people that, that others will look up to as being, you know, superstars. You're one of those people. And, and I think a lot of kids get the idea that when people are successful, it's because they have no obstacles. And we, of course, know that isn't true. So here you are, one of the world's greatest golfers, which is amazing to me. I just, uh, I shot 110 on Father's Day and I've been, you know, I've been at the range Never. hours and hours. It's, just, it's, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a stupid game. Any game where you have to try less hard, 
Amen to that. It's just (laughs) anyway, you know, the point is, um, I know that you've had struggles in life. I actually have gotten uh, the the good fortune to know you personally, and I know I know you have some stuff going on in your life. Share with our audience a little bit about the story of Stuart, Stuart Sink and how you got to your place in the world. All right, I'll be glad to. Uh, well, growing up in a little town, I, I was born in Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, my family moved over to Florence, Alabama, when I was about five. So. Um, I started playing golf before we moved, though. I'm, my parents had started playing just before I was born. So we were, in a way, we were all beginners at the same time, just doing something that they wanted to get outdoors, and they didn't want to hire a babysitter. So they just kind of brought me along. And, you know, like you learn what to do in the world based on what you see in front of you. And I saw my parents playing golf, so I just figured that's what everybody did. So I just started playing golf, and, um, you know, it was something I loved doing, and, and I was – I, I didn't I had no idea if I was any good at it because I didn't have anybody to compare myself to until I was a little bit older. But um, as I got up into like, you know, 10, 11, 12, I was playing in some tournaments and I was winning a lot. I was beating the kids locally and, you know, shooting some scores and getting some attention. And it was kind of nice. And I liked that. And then, you know, as, as I got into bigger tournaments, I started facing more competition and I didn't win as much. And then I would win. I was still, I was competitive, but the biggest challenge I faced during those early years was um, I came from a place where I was a little bit bored. I was a good student in high school and it wasn't very challenged. Uh, you know, just school seemed a little easy and um, I was a little bored. So the way I filled that boredom up as a teenager admittedly was by doing some of the wrong things. <laughs> and I looked into, you know, I just, I got off kind of on a little bit of a wayward track. And, you know, I can't say I was, I had like a rough upbringing or anything like that. I mean, that would be foolish to say, but I, I I kind of started tinkering with a path that would have led me to probably destruction, knowing myself now. Um, You know, I, I never didn't have golf. I was always a good golfer. I always felt like I could lean on that and I almost used it as a crutch where I could, you know, go out on the weekends and stay out too late and maybe tell my parents I was going to Mike's house, but really I was going to Jerry's house, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, just kind of got away with stuff and it was a little town. So there was kind of like a town full of spies in a way, you know, you kind of, everybody kind of kept up with you and word would get back to my parents and the people in my life that cared about me. But, um, you know, I I just kind of was a little bit probably brazen about that type of lifestyle and behavior. I was a kid and I pretty much said goodbye to all my church and my faith and everything because I had golf. And I'm telling you right now, learning, I wish I'd known then what I know now at, I just turned 50, man, you cannot put all your eggs in a basket that has anything to do with performance. You cannot, right? Because it will, if you put you, if you put your faith into something that you think you can control, man, you are headed straight towards frustration. And I've experienced it. I've played golf for a long time now. I end up, you know, coming out of little town, um, I was uh, another challenge I faced in that little town was that there was a lot of people who seemed to know a lot of statistics about success. <laughs> and I was constantly being reminded by people like, hey, you're good at golf, but, you know, not many people really make it in golf. And so I took that as kind of like a, well, number one, it challenged me. Not that I wanted to prove anybody wrong, but I want to kind of prove it to myself. But number two, I took it as like a, all right, reality check here. You know, you got to kind of get the rest of your life in order and make sure you get an education and get yourself ready for 
if it doesn't work out. I mean, there's no guarantees, you know. Um, in, in a game like golf, when you start off as a pro, there's no draft. There's no um, no rookie deal. There's no long-term contract extensions, nothing like that. It's basically just merit-based year after year. And if you don't earn your way, then you don't have a job. And for somebody who um, who goes that route and doesn't make it, if you don't have something like a college education to fall back on, man, you know, it just kind of leaves you in a bad place. So that kind of became my real motivating uh, my real motivating factor when I was, uh, say, like 15, 16, 17. I wanted golf to get me a college education and get me out of my little town. Not that I hated my town, but golf was going to be my way out. And I ended up with a college scholarship, Georgia Tech, right here. And that's why I ended up living in Atlanta for all these years. And so, um, but yeah, growing up, it was kind of like a, I, I, I felt like I had to kind of fight my way out of the room in a way. And I was motivated. I love playing golf. Golf never seemed like anything I had to do that was like a responsibility or anything. I still love it. And I loved it all along. I was very fortunate in that regard. But, you know, it, it wasn't without its challenges. And uh, certainly I had naysayers around me that were uh, trying to kind of keep me real, maybe a little bit too much. But, um, you know, it was a little rocky road. But um, overall, you know, I mean, I can't look back and say I'm disappointed with the, the way things turned out. At least so far, you know, I'm 50 years old and still kicking around. Stuart, like you were saying, when we're young, you know, we all have a lot of negative influences in our life. And there's, uh, you know, something pulling at all of us to kind of go in the wrong direction. What is it that kept you on the straight and narrow? For me, you know, I think it was good that I had athletics. You know, I was I was good when I was young. And so it gave me something positive to focus on. More importantly, I had a dad who was right there to always kind of, you know, let me know where I stood in this world. and and to give me wisdom and all that kind of stuff. What is it that kept you on the right path and not let you go off on the wrong path? Well, I, there wasn't anything because I didn't stay on the narrow path. I, I, I think um, the town I grew up in was small enough where we knew almost everybody, but it was big enough where there was enough of those city type influences. And I knew where I could get anything. I just, me and my friends just, we just knew. And so um, in a way I was my own worst enemy because I felt, almost invincible when I was say 15, 16, 17 years old, I felt like I could do anything without risk. I mean, the things that I got into, the things that I did, like, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, a real miracle that I was shielded through all that. And some of my stupid decisions that I made, but I was my own worst enemy because I said, yes, I just was like, Hey, you know, why don't we go over and see him? You know, I know what he's got right now and you know, stuff like that. I mean, that, that's, I'm just, that's typical. Right? I was my own, my own worst enemy. That's typical. And we all did that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We all did that. And yeah, uh, I know I'm not alone that I had a few people in my life that would, uh, that would, uh, they were really good about finding out information about what I was doing. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how it was. <laughs> that small town help. Hey, oh, sorry. Sorry. Are we you- had, there was one guy, especially, um, he just passed away and I went to his funeral two weeks ago. He was the, um, he was the local golf pro at our club. I mean, I was a, we had a membership at a private club in Alabama, but when I say private club, I mean, we're not talking about Peachtree or Augusta here. We're talking about like the the worst little goat track you ever saw in your life that had private memberships available. And we paid like, I think 600 bucks to join this club. And so um, the pro there though, he was a legendary guy up in North Alabama. And um, he was the one usually who got word and who usually would pull me aside and say, Hey, I know what you've been up to. You need to clean it up. Mm. And he would say something. It would, it would like 
bounce through my soul. And, um, you know, it was a good thing that he had those conversations with me. He was the guy I worked for. The only other job I've ever had besides being a golfer, I worked for him at the club doing the carts and all that stuff for the members. But he's the one that pulled me aside a bunch of times and said, you better, you better clean it up. And so um, he just passed away. So Chris Burns, God rest his soul. He was a huge influence on me in that way, you know, just keeping me kind of like I would veer and he would course correct. I would veer over here. He would course correct. He would just kind of help me get back and uh, do his best to try to keep me, you know, pointed in the right direction. He was, and he did a, the best job he could. Guardian angel, guardian angel. Yeah. Start yeah. Ron Haynes here. Two things. One, Happy belated birthday, right? <laughs> Kudos for you turning fifty. <laughs> the other thing, the other Thank thing you. that that uh, is 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 not so good. Uh, Georgia Tech, <clears throat> <laughs> you know, uh, I went to Georgia, so <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> Got a little bit, bit of rivalry going there. I but. figured you might bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to you. Hey, take, walk us through this because us being mediocre at golf, right? We, 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 we just see Sundays and it looked you guys and, and, and Thursday through Sunday, but you guys make mm-hmm. it look so easy, right? Yeah, but yeah. take us through when you get there, all the practice, all the thousands of shots that you hit and, 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 and how marginal the misses are. Right. And, and, but you guys get mad. Right. And, and it's like, golly, I didn't, it didn't go in and it's just right on the cup. I'm like, wow, you, you're mad at that. And like, yeah. but a lot of people don't see the days before leading up to when you guys yeah. are in the practice. Take us through that. Well, um, being an individual sport, you know, we don't have a coaching staff. We don't have like organized practice where they've run us through drills. You're the head coach, the general manager, the team president, the owner, you're everything. So um, you got to make all those decisions yourself. And, it's up to you whether you get in the weight room. It's up to you whether you show up for practice and do your drills. It's up to you uh, whether you're, you know, you spend five hours doing what you said you were going to do or two hours because you'd rather go and, you know, do something else. So um, in a way, you, you have to be very, um, you know, you have to be honest with yourself if you want to be the best. If you really want to leave no stone unturned and and try to be the best you can be and compete against the best in the world, then you really have no choice except to do what you say you're going to do and, and, and be true to that goal. And so um, what leads up to tournaments, it's kind of a little bit of a combination between um, everybody who makes it in golf nowadays has at least one or two parts of the game that they're like elite at. Okay. Really good. And then they have parts of the game that they really wish they were a little bit better. They, They could tidy things up. And if you go to the top of the game, like you look at a guy like John Rahm, Scotty Sheffer, those guys, Rory McIlroy, who are at the top, even when, and certainly with Tiger Woods when he was at the top, those guys really don't have any weaknesses at all. They're just super strong in every facet of the game. And, and that's something that's been a big change in the last, say, 10 years that we didn't see that before. Usually everybody had a weakness. Now, now the top dozen or so players don't, they don't have any weaknesses. So, um, going into preparation, what you look at is kind of like you want to take those elite parts of your game and keep those sharp and even sharpen them more. Like I want to be, if I'm really good at like my distance control with my approach shots, I want to make that like where I'm not just elite, but I want to be like best in the world. And if I'm like, you know, really long hitter, like Bryson DeChambeau, when he did that a couple years ago, he went from being a long hitter and said, if being long is good, I want to be, the longest by 25 yards. And so you take that elite and you want to sharpen it even more. On the other side of that, 
you're taking, you're constantly like taking inventory of how you've been kind of like, let's call it like a 10 tournament rolling stat average. And you like always have a state of your game. Like I haven't been putting quite as well from inside six feet as I want to, or my bunker shots have been a little loose. You know, you're always kind of looking for those cleanup areas too. And so that's kind of how you're just constantly evolving your practice on your off weeks and somewhat at tournament weeks on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You're kind of evolving that part of your practice based on what's going on lately and what you know you're good at. Like what's your golden goose that you have to have? You have to be elite at it. How can you even make that better? And you got to really like just turn the knob just a little bit more on those things. And the way you do that is just time. Nowadays, there's a lot of information available and you can use, uh, there's, we have these really fancy launch monitors that cost a whole bunch of money that tell you exactly what the club and ball are doing at impact. TrackMan, if you ever heard of that stuff, it's a, I mean, it's a toy, but it's also a pretty useful tool. I have one. I use it all the time, pretty much every day. Um, no, but it tells you exactly what's going on. Stuart, we always like to use sports as a metaphor for life. And I, I like that because sports really is just a pure meritocracy. You know, it doesn't care about any other thing. It's about, you know, who's the best. Uh, and it's an objective evaluation of things. And, and as a result, being successful in a sport is uh, employs a lot of the same virtues that makes you successful in life. You know, we the mm-hmm. mantra of this show, uh, we always talk about honesty, integrity, accountability, working hard, being no a good teammate, no excuses, yep. right? It's, uh, you know, you don't blame other people. Um, you know, I always love the story of the great Bobby Jones who loses the big tournament. He goes into the woods and he accidentally uh, – touches his ball and, uh, you know, nobody saw it, but him, but he comes out and he says, yeah, I got a, I got a penalty, uh, because I addressed my ball improperly and he loses a tournament. I just, yeah. I love that story. And, you know, golf is one of those sports. It's individual. You have to manage your emotions, right? It's, uh, you know, there's, there's an integrity component to it. Um, I think it's a, a bit of a gentleman's sport in a lot of ways. Um, and we can see that, uh, golf generates, $3.9 billion a year for charity, uh, which is more than the NFL, the N- the Major League Baseball, and NBA. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's a lot there. Um, golf has always had that charitable component. Ever since the PGA Tour was formed, the PGA Tour actually broke off from the PGA of America, which is like the club pros, and they run the PGA Championship and the Ryder Cup. But the tour, like us, broke off from them and started the new organization in 1968. And ever since then, um, it's, it's been a charity foundation, uh, our, the PGA tour, a nonprofit. So all of our bottom line goes to charities and, um, in our tournament cities where we play, the organizations there are all the same way. All the bottom line goes to charity. And so, um, it's just been the way that we've been set up forever. We're structured that way. And it just is a fit. Golf is such a great vehicle for, giving my own personal foundation. We hosted a golf tournament for about seven years that raised, I don't even know, I'd have to do the math, but a million and a half dollars in seven years or something like that. Um, it's a lot of work, but you know, it's just, it's a great vehicle for, for helping, uh, wherever your heart is, you know, we, our pain becomes our purpose. I love that phrase. And yeah. that's all of us have our own different places where our hearts lie. But for me and my wife, you know, we, we found out we were, going to be having a little one at 19 years old. You know, we're the quintessential teenage pregnancy and um, we're from the same town. And I told her when I was 15, she was going to be the one I was marrying. So it wasn't <laughs> like it was a super like shock to my system, but 
scholarship athlete at Georgia Tech, and all of a sudden uh, we got wedding bells in the future at, at 19, soon to be 20 years old. You know, it felt like pain <laughs> at the time. And, you know, <laughs> looking back, I mean, it's the best thing probably that's ever happened to me other than, you know, accepting Christ. And um, But my wife and I vowed that once we got married and our first son, Connor, was born, and when we graduated, we had an almost two-year-old kid, that we would always support crisis pregnancy, you know, help women and families that find themselves in that situation steer in the right direction as a ministry is so powerful. And so my wife was a counselor for six years up in Gwinnett County at a place like that. She's on the board right now. I've been on the board of this place and we just, it's our heart, you know, and I'm sure y'all have the same stories where something that affected you early becomes your foundation later on in life. And, and in a way, golf has just been a perfect way to weave through all that because it's just so, uh, it's, it's such a, it's such a natural vehicle. People love playing golf. They love being around the pros. They, I, I understand that, that a lot of people that play golf, like you three might even be able to agree that you're kind of like, you'd like to be able to hit the ball. Like I can't. <laughs> and I, yeah, I absolutely. It, it's so, fun. Yeah, sometimes, no you know, I'll take a couple hey. of those strokes right now. Yep. <laughs> and say, Stuart, this big block. I, um, like I grew up at East Lake Meadows and East Lake Meadows were like, I mean, I think you probably played in, in uh, the country club. And my auntie, I remember was, over there. Yeah, yeah, my auntie is is a close friend of Tom Cousins, and she introduced me to him about when I was probably like twenty two, twenty three years old. I never played golf. I never really had an interest to it. For it, I became real, real close friends to him. And one day he called me, say, "Hey, you know, pull up on me, and um, say I have somebody I want you to meet, and it was Tiger Woods." And we ended up raising like six hundred thousand. It was like oh seven oh eight, and. and and we ended up raising like 600000 you know what I'm saying, for the success of East Lake because he really wanted, you know, people to to see the, the improvement that the projects came from the golfing now. Because, you know, we, mm-hmm. we really attracted a lot of bad stuff over there. But now since y'all come play, you know what I'm saying, like y'all really, you know, you know, you know raised a lot of money over there for us. But mm-hmm. um, one of the biggest things that he wanted wanted me to do and my team at Block Entertainment, um, he wanted us to go, go talk to the kids. What would you say to the kids these days? Well, I think going back to what Doc said a second ago about how sports and life mimic each other. Yeah. I think that's so right. And I've thought about this a lot before. And the way that I treated sports growing up, I just really wanted to be the better tomorrow than I was today. And I want to look back and say, I'm better today than I was yesterday. And, you know, I didn't have some kind of grandiose image in my mind of playing pro golf yeah. or pro soccer. Like I saw, I played soccer. That was my favorite sport, <laughs> wow. pro basketball. I was a five foot two white dude who could dribble and I could shoot free throws. Great. But I mostly played about six minutes a game and then I broke my wrist. So I was the useless basketball player. Yeah. I didn't have any grandiose, but when I was practicing basketball, you know, with the team, I just wanted to try to be better than I was the day before. I didn't have any like images of what I might do. And I still in golf. Yeah. Golf took me, to a pretty good place in, in pro sports and in the rankings in golf, but I still treat it the same way. And I treat life the same way too. I think that just trying to be a little bit better than you were yesterday. It's pretty simple. The Bible just tells us live by treating others the way you wish you'd be treated. I mean, if you can do that every day and that can be your goal every day, there's really not much standing in your way. Stuart, 
we, we, we have a lot of great guests on the show, you know, pro athletes like yourself. We have a lot of MMA fighters and just, you know, people who have been successful in all walks of life. And one of the underlying themes we always see is, you know, the hard work, the commitment, the, the you know, the honesty, the integrity, the accountability. But the other underlying theme we always see is there seems to be a big component of faith. And uh, I know that's been an important thing in my life. When I see people, you know, and in, in medicine, you know, people that are turning to faith is, is a very prevalent thing. You know, you have something bad happen to you, and that's when people find God really quickly. But I have noticed that people live um, a happier, more powerful, more fulfilling life when they, when they uh, give their life over to Christ and that they, they follow their faith. Talk to me a little bit about that, because I know you've had some challenges in your life outside of golf. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your faith and how important that is. Well, for sure. Um, we, like, like I mentioned before, you know, when you find out you're going to have a baby at 19, that's, that, that feels like a problem at the time. And it feels like an obstacle. Now, looking back, you know, it's amazing how many times in our life we look back to what we thought were the dark moments. Yep. And that's when God really works for us. And that's, you know, he's always with us. But the, the question is whether we open up the door and let him in, open up our hearts. So looking back to that time when we were 19, you know, at the time it was like, oh, this is devastating. <laughs> but looking back to it, my wife and I would both agree it's probably the cornerstone of our marriage now. We just had our 30th anniversary. And then you know, in 2016, <laughs> thanks. In I got 2016, coming up next month. The big three. Yep. <laughs> um, but in 16, my wife got a pretty bad health diagnosis. She got diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, yep. which also obviously felt devastating. And it still does. And she's going to deal with that for the rest of her life. She's doing great, by the way. She's yeah. in remission. She just Praise had a scan God. last week and she's just, uh, she's a miracle. Yeah. But you mentioned how when people in medicine, they encounter a real hardship and that's what helps people find faith. We had found faith before that, but her diagnosis and her subsequent treatment and the way that her life just completely shifted its paradigm. It sharpened our faith to the point where, um, I mean, we've, we've been so close to God and so close to Christ and so dependent and we, it, it, it uh, magnifies your own sin and how terrible we really are. I mean, I'm the worst. I'm, I'm not kidding. I am the worst. And I know that because, but I'm, I'm so secure of the fact that I have Christ the best. And, um, but what I always like to tell people is, you know, faith is out there waiting for you right now. If you're not already a believer, you don't have to wait for some catastrophe in your life or some, you know, diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or some terrible, tragic moment. It's there right now waiting for you. You don't have to wait for something to jar you to this reality. So, um, it's a huge part of our life. I mean, it, and just on the golf course, it having my faith with me all the time, it helps me kind of iron out the high points and the low points. You know, it doesn't let me get too high and too much. Like it's all about me. And when I'm low and I'm, you know, I just missed a cut by a shot last week, which hurts a little bit, you know, I mean, you just have something bigger to, to, to be a part of than just, you know, where your golf ball goes. And that, that helps me a lot because if I, if that was the only thing I had going for me, man, I'm telling you, I probably would have already been in the insane asylum. <laughs> I had a coach that used to say to me, you're never as good as you think you are, yeah. but you're never as bad as they say you are. <laughs> yeah. So if you can find that happy medium, yeah. right, it, it'll yeah. really guide you, yeah. right? So a lot of what you're saying, the similarities with the struggles with, with 
off the golf course and on the golf course, right? It's 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 it, it, it happens, right? It happens to us yeah. in in surgery. It happens to us in the music industry, right? It happens to me on the it happened to me on the field. Yeah. So my thing is having that solid foundation really helps, and having that open mind helps. Take me through, uh, uh, Scott Stort. Um, take me through what the adverse like. You are right. You had a bad hole, right? You had a bad shot or whatever. Calming down, because a lot of these kids, I think, right now we are at a at, at a moment in 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 society where yeah. they think it's 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 like out of control. Like yeah. they, it's going to be okay. It's going to yeah. be okay. Let's let's play the next shot, right? Like. Yeah. Tell me, composure. how do I compose How do you get myself? your composure? Yeah. yeah. Man. Oh, gosh. I, can, are we recording this? Because I might need to like, go back and listen to this again later on when I forget how to do it. Because <laughs> I feel like I forget that all the time. And actually, um, you know, we have a yardage book where the, like a map of the course and a little book that you just keep in your back pocket. And every shot, you, you see it on TV with the pros. Every time yep. you, you get to a place, you like look at the yardage and you figure out what the sprinkler head says. And then, you know, how far you are to the front of the green. And then. That's how you kind of plan your shot. In the back of my yardage book, there's an empty page, and I always write notes in there about this exact thing. About like, I, I remind myself where true peace comes from. Does it come from if I, my ball bounces in the fairway or bounces out of the fairway or plugs in the bunker or goes in the hole? That's obviously the answer to that is no. I don't. I try to really hard to not get my peace from the golf ball, even though it's tempting. And uh, remind myself who I belong to, and what at the moment is my master and all these things I think are clues to tell you that it's really challenging to not let what you do become your master. You know what you're an an amazing, you know, figure in the music industry, but if that becomes your master, what if that all goes away one day, you know, what's going to be left with you. So um, it's just a real big challenge for whatever you end up doing in life to not let what you do, even your family and who you're related to and your friends and, where you live, all that stuff, you know, don't let that be your identity. Your identity comes from inside you and it comes from your creator implanted in you. So um, all my notes in my yards book are basically there to keep my, to help me keep my composure and to remind me that, you know what? I just three putted that hole. I'm now looking at, you know, I got to make a birdie on the, on the last three holes here. I'm going to miss a cut. And um, you know, my ranking is going to fall. I'm not going to get in the tournament in two weeks because it's based on ranking. I'm going to lose my card. I'm, you know, it's a cascade of things. The notes help me keep my composure and just basically say, Stuart, who cares what just happened? You can't control that, but you can be your best on the next shot. And if you are your best on the next shot, it's going to be a pretty good result. If you're not, it might not be. And you can't guarantee the results anyway. But that's how I do it. I just constantly keep a note in front of me that I can refer to all the time. And, um, you know, I, I go back to that page a dozen times a day because I get off the rails and I forget, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's just a, a mental and emotional roller coaster out there, just like it is for y'all, whatever y'all are doing, you know, it's, it's not just me, uh, but that's the way I deal with it is I keep you know, it written down so I can refer to it. That's a great example too, of the perspective in life, because you're sitting there having that feeling after a three putt and it's about keeping your tour card and you know, it's your livelihood. It's, I mean, it's on a different scale, right? I'm going to not break 90 and I have the same feeling, you know what I mean? And it's just, it's obviously not the same thing, but the emotions are the same. And the way you manage that stuff is the same. 
Um, you know, the other thing that is so important in life, and I, you know, my father used to talk to me about this is you never know what the next play is going to be. Like I didn't get into medical school for five years. I applied five times and it wasn't until my fifth try that I got in. And all that time that I was applying, I thought, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody. Why, you know, why has God forsaken me? All this kind of stuff. And then when I finally got into medical school, I was five years more mature than everybody else. I had done a lot of things that a young person can do that I would not have been able to do when I finished my training. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. And the golf analogy to me with Tiger with the uh, at the Masters, you know, right? He's got the par three and he hits a bad shot. And, uh, you know, it looks like the wheels are coming off. And then the very next shot is the most iconic shot in golf history, right? With the the shot up there, the ball, you know, takes 10 minutes rolling on the green. It gets right up <laughs> yeah. to the hole. The Nike label is showing on for the world to see. And then it drops in the cup, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. I always think to myself, one minute ago, he was like, oh, my God, I'm blowing the tournament, you know. And then the very next play, God had a different plan. And I think that's so important for all of us to recognize that, you know, life is just a series of wins and losses. You know, sometimes things seem to go your way. Sometimes they don't. But when you have a failure, sometimes the greatest success in the world is right around the quarter. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And a lot of times, like you mentioned, Tiger shot, that was about 2005 or six at the Masters. A lot of the great moments in your life are set up by some of the worst moments in your life. So if you could switch your attitude and sort of reframe some of your mistakes. And I mean, we all put our foot the wrong way sometimes. Everybody does, you know, no matter what your intentions are. If you can reframe that mistake, then you can, you know, set yourself up for an attitude of like, hey, watch me be an overcomer right here. I mean, a a great example happened in our own life with our son, Connor, who is our first son who was born while we were in college. He went to Clemson and uh, must have been his junior year at Clemson. He kind of went dark on us. And I think he would probably happily admit this to you if he was on right now. But he went dark and we couldn't reach him by phone and his girlfriend was worried. And, you know, he just kind of got a little bit overwhelmed and just sort of sat in a room playing video games. And he might have smoked a little pot. Not really sure exactly, but he just kind of went dark. And, um, you know, we pulled his butt out of college and my wife and I are thinking, you know, oh, gosh, the world is crashing down. This doesn't happen to us and our family. And how are we going to tell people? And we pulled him home and, and said, OK, you're going to have to uh, get yourself in order. You got to pay us back for that semester you just wasted and um, you got to get a job and you're not going to go out and sell used cars and you know, you got to go find a job. You can use our connections, but he did. He went to a friend who owns a company and he just said, I'll uh, just whatever you need me to do. And so he said, well, why don't you learn how to write a few programs and you can learn how to code while you're here. And Connor's like, okay. So he spent the rest of that semester learning how to write basic code, a couple of languages. He came out of that loving that to the point where he went back to college for a year, did pretty well, graduated and got a job in computer science programming, but he's not a computer science major. He got a job over all the computer science majors. <laughs> wow. And now he's been in the workforce. Now he's almost 30. So um, that's what he does now. He's a, he's a coder for a big company here in Atlanta that works in the blockchain space. And if it wasn't for that dark time, it allowed him to put another foot forward and be an overcomer. Yeah, it's amazing how God leaves you to your destiny 
uh, over what you really want. You know, I just, I think about my own life. I wanted to be a professional soccer player or at least a professional athlete so badly. (laughs) You know, the other thing is like, I'm sitting with great guys like you, you know, you know, you guys are really amazing, accomplished people, but most that's not in the cards for most of us. You know what I mean? And I remember when I was taking care of the, uh, Miami, uh, high school football team and, Every time we go to these games at night, every time every any player had a good play, every, all the people in the stands, the parents would be yelling, you're going to the NFL. And I used to sit there like, stop telling these kids they're going to the NFL. None of these kids are going to the NFL. And even if they do, they're not going to make a lifetime's worth well, of money. It's dream, not man. what you think. You know what I mean? But the point is still the same. You know, so for some people like you guys, you know, God did have that in your destiny. But for me, it didn't happen. But I have this other destiny that ended up being so much greater, you know, getting to be an orthopedic surgeon and taking care of people. I love, I was Which just, I think you've done very yeah, well. well. But <laughs> the, thing is, the, the greatest part about it is just how rewarding it is because I get to take care of other people for a living. And, you know, that really is the essence of a fulfilling life is service to others. You know, yeah, whether you know, it's a service absolutely. to your wife, service to your husband, service to your children. That is where all of my joy comes through. And the funny thing is I've for many years now, and I haven't always been this way, but for many years, I've really focused on just service to others and everything else that comes back to me is like in spades, you know, and it's just amazing to me. And now it's like, I'm trying to teach my kids, like, I'm telling you, just go out there and figure out how to give. And the the rest of it takes care of itself. And that I wish I could have told myself when I was in middle school and you know, when I was really one of the worst time of my life actually was my freshman year of college where I realized like, I'm not going to be a pro soccer player. <laughs> like that was the toughest. That was, I was in my dorm sucking my thumb. Like, yeah, how am I going to, then how am I going to tell people? You know what I mean? But it's like, things have a way of working out. Like my dad said, it's like, keep your head down, keep moving forward That's and uh, you'll get through the darkness into the light. Yeah? So how do we teach these kids that though, Scott? How do we teach these kids? mentorship right mentorship and that's like if you're out there and you're a young kid and you don't have a mentor you Mm -hmm. need to find a mentor because what mentors do is they give you wisdom and right we always talk about on this show wisdom is the knowledge of things that never change and the only way to get wisdom is uh, to live life you know and sometimes that can be painful which is why you need to find people who've gone through it and uh you know do what they do right percent hundred percent yeah. Yeah. I agree. Give, baby. I agree. Give. That's the moral, kids. Give wholeheartedly. All right. And so not want anything back. That's yeah. the thing. That's that's right. the key. Yeah. Yes. You don't want anything back yeah. in return. You not just keeping give. score. Right. Not keeping uh, score. It's so you know? competitive. The the world out there is so competitive. I mean, I admittedly, I wouldn't want to be eighteen years old right now, about to jump out into this world because I mean it's so hard not to think that you have to earn money and you, you have to, you know, look at Instagram. I mean, what's it doing to our kids? You know, the way, yeah, the status thing. And when you're, when you're a kid, you're still fairly immature. You know, the only way you think you can achieve status is either looks, money, success, uh, you know, victory, something like that. That stuff just doesn't happen on a daily basis to everyone. So it's a very unrealistic world that they have in their minds that they think they're going into. And oh. I always tell people like, take what you control, what you can control mm-hmm. and take what you can't control and divide those two things out into piles and work like hell on the pile that you can control. Take and the rest of it, 
don't even think about it one time. Yeah. You know, the important thing for me, I Mm -hmm. go into church once a week for me and sometimes going to men's group, but you know, it takes me the week to think about it's about me. And then I need to be told it isn't about you. It's what God wants for me. And that's what keeps me on the, the straight, and narrow, narrow, right? Because yep. it's it's easy to you know start thinking it's about me and that person has this and you compare yourself to others and I want that and it's like putting all that the the sooner you can put that stuff aside and just focus on service to others Correct. and service 100%. without expecting 100%. anything in yeah. return, generosity, moving forward, working hard, setting goals, and then when you when you when you hit obstacles mm-hmm. and you fail, just like keep your head down and and get through it. Now, Stuart, listen. This is, uh, you know, we like to talk about failures and everything, but I just have to hear your story about winning the Open Championship in 2009. That, that is something that for me, I just, I can't even imagine what that experience must have been like. Um, share with me, share with me what was going through your mind and, and that whole experience. It was at a time when um, I played really, really well for about four years until about the halfway through point of 2008 and my game started to just go like this. And I didn't, I wasn't having much fun on the course. I um, had switched, I switched mental coaches to try to kind of give myself a new perspective on things. And I think really I was just focusing a little bit too much on the results, um, which is easy to do. And um, so 2009 comes along and still kind of struggling. And we get to the British Open. Uh, We go over to Ireland the week before. It's just me and my wife and our two boys. And we just played golf. My wife didn't play golf at that time, but me and the boys just played golf on some fun courses. You know, those courses over there are awesome. Yeah. And we just played. We played like 36 a day, just playing, having fun. And I don't think I shot better than 75 one time the whole week we were there. I just, not that I was playing bad, but it was windy and the rough was high. And, you know, it was just like the score is just so irrelevant. And so um, we had such a good time that we postponed our trip over to the British from Ireland by a day. So I didn't get there till three o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday. I was probably 24 hours later than the next latest guy getting there. I mean, nobody (laughs) gets to the majors that late. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm having fun. Let's just stay here for a while. So we stayed, get there at three o'clock on Tuesday. I played practice round um, on Wednesday and I was going to, after the rain, after the practice round on Wednesday night, about six o'clock, I was headed to the range. And uh, my good friend, Mike Tarico, you know, one of the greatest TV analysts, TV hosts, he's coming back from the range. And so we stopped and chatted, you know, exchanged the pleasantries. How's your wife? How's everybody doing? And when we were walking away, he turned around and said, by the way, Stewie, you got anything this week? Meaning like, how's your golf? And I said, Mike, I don't have anything this week (laughs) (laughs) with a smile, but I was like, I was okay with it. I went to the range and, um, my caddy and I stayed on the range for 20 minutes and I found a little something in my golf swing that I had kind of been missing out on for the last, you know, maybe a year or so. Just kind of a little bit of a memory from the past, a, a physical like sensation. Yeah. And I just said, you know what? I don't really have much. I just told Mike Tarico I don't have anything. So I'm going to go with this. And sure enough, I mean, I played awesome. I hit it great, solid. It was windy. And uh, I, I just, I played like myself again. And, um, I found a little something on the range, but I think a lot bigger factor was the fact that I was in Ireland with my kids and I was just playing for fun. And I kind of went back to the little boy inside me, kind of like just having a good time competing and playing. And, you know, in the end, 
Watson being involved, 59 years old at the time, yep. was a big part of that too because it kept me distracted because I was like, what the heck's Watson doing? You know, oh my gosh, he's birdie 13. And it kept and me out of my I own head. If I remember correctly, you birdied that last hole and he bogeyed, right? Yeah. And, and to, I wasn't in the same group with him. I was a couple of groups ahead. But yeah. I birdied the hole and finished at 200 par. And, you know, burning the last hole of a major, you never, never hurts you. Yep. So uh, I didn't think it was going to probably be enough to win, but we sat sat there for 30 minutes and watched him finish and watched the bogey. And <clears throat> I realized it was going to be a playoff. And so and then you just make crushed him in the playoff. Yeah. Well, I think he just really got tired at the yeah. end. And I mean, it, understandably so, but um, he put up a heck of a fight and I played really well in the playoff too. It, he wasn't going to, no one was going to beat me in the playoff. I played great, but um, it was just a, a heck of a day. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's funny to me, the more we do this show and the more we're talking to these people, isn't it? It's honesty, integrity, accountability, hard work. He leans into his family, right? And, and Scott, he just let it, and he let it go. He let let it it come, right? I mean, let it go. That's the whole time you're telling that (laughs) story. I got a smile on my face because I could hear how at peace you were. Right. And that was at peace. Yeah. Yeah, like you just be at peace with wherever you are in life. I'm good. You are good. Know know that, right? Moving on. Well, and that to me it goes back to, um, you know, Baron. You said to be at peace wherever you are, but that's hard to do if you're just like on that hamster wheel. You know, the it's hard to be in peace. (laughs) So you got to get off the wheel, right? And you got to understand that not everything is going to turn out in your favor. Some things are, some things aren't. Correct. But you can't put everything into that. I can't. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Stuart, thank you so much for being a part of the Doc and the Block podcast. Yes, You're a true big timer. Absolutely. No excuses. No excuses. Yep. Oh, hey, listen we didn't up. get into excuses. I got plenty of those. <laughs> <laughs> listen up there, everybody. Uh, look us up on the Doc and the Block dot com, yeah. uh, bigtimers.com. dot com. We got a lot of big events coming up in the next uh, next uh, weeks, months, and years. Yep. Um, we're going to weave some golf into it. We're yeah. going to get some of these big timers out and do some Still, golf. We need you, baby. We need you. Oh, yeah. Hey, all right. The shoulders right. going to be kind of heavy, you know. I got big old shoulders. I'm used to carrying stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have you back on the show. Everybody, we'll see you okay. next time yeah. on the Doc and the Block podcast. Have a great weekend. God bless Mar- you. Block, I'll see you guys next time. All right. Yeah.